0: Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to Talking Success. Um, Big milestone last week. Uh, We hit 85,000 downloads. So a massive thank you to everyone who tunes in uh, to obviously to our guests. And obviously to our, our sponsors as well, because without them, we, we really wouldn't be where we are. Um, a special thank you to LexisNexis Risk Solutions, who uh, I'm sure need no introduction, but are a global provider of AML solutions uh, to, to multiple sectors, including FinTech and financial services. Uh, they have a big presence in, in Africa, um, will be headquartered in the state. So if you are looking at AML solutions for your business, um, please do give LexisNexis Risk Solutions a shout. Uh, the link's down there. Um, This week, we're joined by Ron Shevlin, uh, who I'm sure needs no introduction. uh, Industry legend, industry icon, joining us all the way from the States. So uh, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Thank you. Uh, hi everyone welcome back to talking success um we're going uh, cross border today um quite far actually so we're not going into uh, tanzania or uh, uganda or uh, zimbabwe we're going uh, across the pond uh, we're we we're, we're joined by ron Shelvin from uh, the united states of america um who is well first of all big thank you to ron for joining us um if you don't know ron i'll, I'll let him do a quick intro in a moment but um What the idea for for today's podcast is, is to to, to get a view on what's happening in other markets, um, specifically the US. And before we started recording, um, I said to Ron, kind of my famous thing, that if you've heard me sort of talk on stage, I always say, oh, you know, in in, in developed markets, uh, fintech's a luxury item, and in, uh, you know, developing markets, it's an absolute necessity. And uh, hey, Ron Ron held held me to account on that one and pulled me up on it. And uh, I'm sure he'll share his views with you very shortly. But uh, Ron, listen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Appreciate this early in the morning. Um, For those who don't know you, uh, I can't imagine there's too many people that don't. But um, if you can give a, a, a bit of an overview, a bit of an intro, and then we can kind of dive straight in.
1: Sure. Thanks a lot for having me, Darren. I'm uh, thrilled to be here talking with you today. Um, for anybody who doesn't know me, I have a real job. Um, it doesn't really matter. I'm chief research officer of a consulting firm called Cornerstone Advisors. But where I think uh, more people kind of know me of is my blog called the uh, FinTech Snark Tank on, on Forbes. And um, uh, probably LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn these days. And, um try to try to get all my stuff out through there. So uh, been in the industry for 30 years. I've been a consultant for even longer. So I've seen a lot of changes in, in financial services and banking. So Darren, thanks a lot for having me on. I look forward to chatting with you today. That's my
0: pleasure. So you, you've been in the industry before FinTech was FinTech, right? So when uh, FinTech was computers in banks, I would imagine, right? Going sort of back a, a few years or so, and you've obviously seen a, a huge evolution. Um, I think what, what we'd like to do, or what I'd like to do today is, is, is really unpack what's happening, um, you know, in, in your part of the world. Um, and not to say, and I just want to preface this, is, is what we're definitely not doing here is saying, oh, well, this is works in, in the US. So, you know, let's look at adopting this in, 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 uh, in Africa on the continent. Because very, very different markets, very different dynamics, um, you know very different um, uh, people, very uh, completely different infrastructure we were Ron and I were talking again just before we came on about you know the difference between uh, legacy telephone systems in uh, in Europe or the u s versus in developing markets. Um, I was just saying to, and I remember sitting on my parents' bed, um, being on the landline, talking to my friends, and having my my mum listening on the on the other side to make sure, you know, the conversation was, uh, shall we say, clean. So, um,
1: see now, this now part, we sit on our we sit on our smartphones, and who knows who's listening in? The NSA, maybe uh, Chinese spies, you know, who, TikTok. They're all, actually, Darren. We this isn't even fintech, but. You know, I'm pretty convinced that every device in my house is listening to me when uh, my wife and I talk about something and I open up the iPad and there's an ad for it. So don't tell me anybody's not listening here, but let's get it yeah, a FinTech right. instead of uh, conspiracy theories. Well, so
0: You've not met my mother, but I'm more scared of my mother than the NSA. <laughs> let's put it that way, right? So uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I think where we, were, where we were going with that sort of, uh, sort of uh, part of the conversation was Different markets adopt different technologies in different types of timeframes. Um, you know, the mobile penetration across Africa is, is is unbelievable compared to, you know, the slower adoption that we saw in the US in, and, and uh, you know, in Europe. But, you know, Ron, if, if you can give us a, a kind of an overview, and I know this is a really broad question, but what, what are the sort of trends and themes that are happening in the world of fintech in, in the States at the moment?
1: Yeah, let's take like a 10-year view, Darren, if we can, looking back about 10 years, because 10 years ago or so, a a whole wave of fintechs came into the U.S. market, started in the U.S. market, with the goal of really kind of displacing existing financial institutions, predominantly from a retail consumer perspective to a lesser extent, the small business space. And they... Some greens gained some good adoption, but for the most part, uh, two things happened. One is a few of them were profitable um, and had sustaining business models. And for the most part, um, they did not, well, they have not for sure displaced existing traditional legacy financial institutions. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with Clayton Christensen and his innovators dilemma, this is really a classic case of it. Christensen's theory uh, about innovation is that new innovators come into a market and then attack the fringes, the unserved, underserved aspects of the market, and then from there get a foothold into the market and start moving into the mainstream. And I'm not sure what his theory was or or uh, perspective was on how long that takes but we're only 10 years in and really, I think we've only seen some movement into some of the, uh, the, the fringe markets. You've got a Neo Bank, Challenger Bank, whatever you want to call it, like Chime that has 15, 20 million customers now in the U.S. In the scheme of things, that's a pretty good customer base. I mean, even a, a, a JP Morgan Chase Bank of America is probably at 100 million, but that's across a lot of different lines of business. Uh, but it's a very limited and they're really focusing on the low to middle income consumer market. Uh, Robinhood came in, really created some new investment opportunities for younger consumers. But then when the downturn hit in our economy, uh, that hit a lot of consumers really hard. And you had a lot of young people who didn't know what they were doing around trading calls, puts, options, things like that. And, and there, was, there was a real downturn. <clears throat> So you had the rise of the consumer-focused fintechs, a little bit of downturn as they uh, kind of washed out a little bit. And meanwhile, the next wave of fintechs came in. I think to a certain extent, we're kind of focusing on the small business market, which is a tough market for a lot of banks to serve. Um, It's a very diverse market. Everybody likes to throw numbers around, oh, there's... 86 million small businesses in the US. Yes, and there's 86 million different types of businesses in the US and it's hard for banks to kind of focus in on the individual needs of the various segments in that in that space. But you had companies like Brex and a few others who come into the US and help to, you know, build that market. I mean even Silicon Valley bank in, in, the, in the in the technology space, you know, grew up supporting technology companies over the past 25, 30 years. Um, And so that wave came and that wave hasn't died out yet necessarily, but the third wave, uh, which I would put in more the last four to five years has really taken hold, which I would consider to be enterprise FinTech. FinTechs who are serving banks, brokerages, insurance companies uh, to help them from an infrastructure perspective. Now, depending on how, well, we're giving 10 more seconds, 15 more seconds, um, depending on how you think of the term fintech, I think most of us use it to represent the newer technology companies that have come into the space in the last 10, maybe 15 years. But when you get some of the legacy financial banking technology companies like FIS, FISERF, Jack Henry, they get really offended. Well, we're, we're, we're fintech too, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, you're fintech. Um the they've gotten to be so big, um, so colossal that they're moving they're the new elephants in the space. They move slow. Actually, do elephants move fast? Maybe that was not a good analogy. Um, but they move slow. And a lot of banks, a lot of credit unions here very, you know, unhappy with the speed at which they move, and so they uh you know turn to these emerging enterprise or B2B FinTech companies uh who are really enabling new fraud and risk management new uh digital banking capabilities new innovation and integration capabilities and so this is the new wave that's that's kind of happening you know we've had a great infrastructure from a technology perspective here uh, in the banking space for 30 40 years but as that infrastructure has aged now the the fintechs are moving in uh looking to create and develop the new infrastructure in in banking.
0: Uh, It's interesting you mentioned obviously the the, the big enterprises or the enterprise software providers um, and you know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't sort of talk about the schemes as well. We don't have to mention them by names, but there's pretty much two big ones, Um, you know, and and how they're pivoting their business um, to not being a card business anymore, but to being a technology business. I was with one of them actually for lunch today and uh, having this whole conversation around actually, we're we're now a platform um, where we're effectively an integration layer between bank and, you know, service provider or merchant or wherever it may be. Um, and, And seeing the adoption or seeing the adaptability and the pivots of you know a giant like you know the one begins with a v and the one begins with an m um seeing how they're sort of moving and maneuvering in the markets, i think is uh, a sign of you know good things to happen but it must be like uh, you know doing a u-turn on the titanic um you know trying to shift one of those uh, you know monsters around but uh, you know i think there's a lot of um uh, talk around platform as a service and banking as a service and you know that layer there well, we we had another podcast a, a few weeks ago with Brett King, um, and he was talking about you know the bank in 2050, and you know that it would literally be something in the background that you don't really see. It's a kind of a technology company, and the front layer is going to be you know your FinTechs, um, and you know the banks will then provide you know the compliance and the infrastructure and the regulatory controls and what have you, which makes complete sense. But th- there's a lot of people, I think, or a lot of companies vying for that sort of middle integration ground at the moment, and. Uh, you know I, I suppose from a bank's perspective do you you know do you um entrust a uh, a long-standing technology company like the ones you've mentioned or do you bite the bullet and go actually we're going to try something new and we're going to go for you know, this little startup that's got, you know, uh, maybe a few million dollars worth of funding and uh, it looks a really cool system. I think the, the risk guys, in the bank are probably sitting there, you know, quivering. But uh, are, are you seeing some of the banks adopting some of this newer
1: technology? Are, are they happy to do so and, and take a bit of a risk? Yeah, let me I'm going to answer that there. and I just want to make a quick comment because Brett is a good friend of mine. I've known him for at least 15 years now. And, you know, he travels all over the world talking, and he's now a great futurist and stuff. And I always tell Brett, you know, you really should take me with you uh, when you travel. And he's like, why would I do that, mate? And I'm like, because you're a futurist, and you're telling everybody what banking is going to look like in 2050. And I'm a nowist. I can tell them what's going to happen now, between now and 2050, because you've got to fill in the blanks, Brett. Come on, how are they going to get there to this vision? So uh, he and I joke a lot of it. Well, I joke about it with him, uh, and um, to this day, he still hasn't taken me anywhere. But uh, I'll keep working on that. You raised a great point about the platform and integration piece, Darren. Because look, the banks are are in a tough place. Um, as I said, you know they're, they they trust their their providers, both the core provider, but now the digital banking providers. But the weakness has always been integration. Both internally and externally, and you know that's been a real big trend past ten years. Is it's not so much just tying in together the internal applications and systems you're using, but now they want to tie into third-party partners, other fintechs, whoever it might be, even you know brands and merchants and other types of businesses. Uh, and so that integration has been a huge, huge issue and yes it is a huge strategic decision to say are we going to go with the integration platform from our core vendor or are we going to look to a third party now uh, i can tell you because every year for the past nine years i've been doing a study in fact just published it yesterday called what's going on in banking the the, uh, 2024 edition is out and one of the questions i ask in the survey is uh, who do you turn to for your integration platform? And about two thirds of the respondents in my survey do turn to their core provider for it, but they recognize that there's this big trade-off that it's going to be a slow deployment. It's not going to give them everything they want. Uh, but the challenge is on the, the going to a third party for this is it's a huge bet from a from a from a business risk perspective because these are startup companies. Um, you don't know how, how well-funded they are, how, you know, what the, 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 uh, outlook for their business model is and can they really deliver? Um, a few of them have been around for a couple years and taking hold. I'm very bullish on them for sure. Uh, I think they've got a lot of things going, but they're still early in their, in their evolution. So it's a, it's a, that piece is an absolutely huge huge strategic decision to make. And honestly, Darren, I have to tell you, I think there are a lot of bankers who don't get that that's a strategic decision. I think they still think of their business very much as a person-to-person relationship business. You know, I can't tell you how many strategic planning and board meetings I've been in in the past couple of years where they're talking about growth and it always comes down to, well, we need a guy in that geography. We need a guy. I'm like, no, you don't need a guy. You, you, you need digital presence, you need the technology, you need the partners, you need the integration. Um, you know, I think they finally come around to understanding what APIs are. But Darren, this really now ties back to what I think is the, I think it's probably the absolute biggest challenge that banks and the banking industry is facing. And it's all about resources, uh, human resources. Uh, it is tough to hire anybody these days and it it's tough to find the skills the technology skills you want over the past couple of years up until recently you you know all the good folks were going to microsoft google you know the big te- technology companies uh, the facebook who were paying huge amounts of money um and if you're the ceo of a banker are you going to hire a 25 year old technology person who wants more money than you're making tough to, uh, this is tough um that's changed a little bit. Google and the folks, they've laid off a lot of, you know, Facebook, they've laid off some people recently putting those skills out there, but it's still not easy for the banks to get. Um, mm. This is part of the real fundamental shift in the industry, Darren, from hiring tellers and bankers to hiring technology bankers. Um, and that's a, that's a big shift in in the industry. And, uh, it's a good, it's a challenge for the fintechs as well. Uh, you know, as they are now struggling to find second and third rounds of funding, yeah, uh, they're finding, they're letting people go. And, uh, it's, it's the human resource aspect in the industry, um, is really tough. And let me make one last point here. When I say sure. the industry, there are a lot of folks who say, Oh, we'll talk about the quote fintech industry. We can argue about this. I do not believe there is anything called the fintech industry. It is the banking industry or the financial services industry. Fintech is part of that. It is not its own industry. It's the banking industry. Fintechs are part of it, part of, it, but it is the banking industry.
0: Oh, that was like a dagger through my heart, Rod. It really was. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna it, jump. you it. But
1: that- I, I'm open. Prove me. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm. I'm. I'm always. I'm, I'm. always open to getting slapped upside the head and told I'm wrong. No,
0: listen. I think you know financial services as a, as an uh, as an overall umbrella, definitely. But I think uh, you know fintech. Um, as I said at the beginning, the you know, banks have been using tech. Well, for as long as I've been in the industry, which is 20 odd years. Right. Um, and, you know, they've been using trading systems and they've been using messaging systems. They've been using Swift. So this has all been there. Um, I think what's happened in my personal view is that a, it's become sexy um, like these things tend to do. Uh, someone gives it a name and goes, hey, it's now something cool and sexy. Um, and there's. I I think from a user's perspective, um, so from a general consumer, I know I I look at myself and, you know, if I was investing money 15, 20 years ago, I would invest it with a bank and they would send me a statement once a year, okay? And this is how your, you know, portfolio is doing. And that was it. Now, um, I feel I have more control over my finances. And we're not talking about DeFi or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, I can literally open an app on my phone and go, right, how's my portfolio doing? You know, what's the... There, I said, what's the price of Bitcoin today? But that's a that's another subject, right? Um, so I think it's become more accessible. So I think fintech was, I agree with you, may not be an industry, and maybe a sub vertical of the industry. I think it's empowered more people to be more. Um, Financially aware and, f- uh, and connected to their money, um, the, historically what it was. I mean, you know, if we won the clock back, Rod, we, we talk about, you know, queuing up in banks, um, you know, to go and pay in a check or to go and, you know, pay a bill. I remember going with my parents and standing in queues for hours and hours. Um, now, I can't remember the last time I've been into a bank. Um, I genuinely can't. So I, I, I do agree. i um,
1: there's, wait, there's wait, let, me, let me just, wait. sorry, let me, because you're yeah. making a great point. Um, and you got to remember, there's two sides to these coins, especially in the economy, supply and demand. Sure. Um, the demand for what you're talking about has grown a lot over time. And, is, and this may be a very U.S. American-centric thing, so tell me if you think it is. Uh, but from a U.S. perspective, this is a very generational type of, of issue. Um, my parents, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, I'm a younger baby boomer. Uh, and my parents, who are you know, the earlier generation, um, didn't come from uh, a, a position where they had a lot of money to manage. Um, so there wasn't, it wasn't a complex financial life. Thanks to world, the post-World War II economic boom in the US, the level of affluence, I mean, we may not be you know, a lot of people affluent, but the level of affluence in the US rose greatly after World War II uh, and the economic boom of the 50s and the 60s. And as a result, baby boomers became really a first generation whose financial lives became a whole lot more complex the The innovation in the banking space with credit cards, all these types of savings programs, investments, uh, 401k you know retirement plans, became so complex that we had now a growing demand for more financial services and more help. But there was no technology there to support that. Then you know, thanks to really personal computers and networking, it's like, wow, we can dial up and, and get access to this or go to the Internet. And then, of course, you know, mobile and then the growth, the you know, the continued evolving uh, of um, Internet based technologies just lifted that up greatly. Um, and then fintechs came in to say, wow, man, the banks are really kind of leaving a lot of holes, banks and investment firms, brokerages, whatever. Are not filling it all the capabilities that, that this technology can deliver. So the fintechs came in, you know, creating a lot of, sometimes they were just really nothing more than new features, functionality, capabilities, but really filling the hole. What you're talking about is, is, is at the tail end of a growth of demand for these things that did not have the supply. Now yeah. we've got sort of both supply and demand. Interacting to create uh, the, this this huge level of, of adoption.
0: Uh, I, I agree, and I think one of the the biggest demands, and I, that's kind of nice segue to my uh, to my next question, actually, Ron, was um, when, when we're talking about um, cross border payments or so international payments. Um, now, there's a lot of money flow from the U.S. outwards, right, wherever that be across the world. Um, what we're seeing in this part of the world is that there's quite a bit of innovation that's happening in that space. Um, most of the innovation that's happening is now looking at using cryptocurrencies as, an, um, as, a, um, as, a, as a as a function, right? As a um, method of moving and transacting currency from one place to another. So um, rather than, uh, you know, using it as, and obviously there's a big part of the population that's still you know have a have, like to have a flutter on uh, ethereum or xlp or whatever other coins there are that look like dogs or cats um th- 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 there is a utility a very strong utility around using crypto rails to you know to transact cross border um wh- what is the general feel in the states when it comes to using crypto as a rail um and an alternative method of payment is it something that's being adopted is there skepticism around it what's the general view
1: well the consumer view is generally couldn't care less about it because look reality is is we got a lot of different payment mechanisms here and from a strictly uh domestic perspective uh it's it's more way more hype than it is reality um There's a lot of discussion here around whether or not the United States needs a central bank digital currency. Um, I, I tell you, ask me on a Monday, I'll tell you my personal opinion is one thing. Ask me again on Friday. I think I've changed my mind based on what I've read. So I'm really not the guy to do it uh to to, to to espouse on that. Basically I just read David Birch and whatever Dave says, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's the guy. Uh whatever sure. Dave says, I'm like, yep, okay, I'll go yeah. with that. He's the expert on this stuff for, for me. He's my go-to guy. Uh, but from a from a international perspective, uh you know, cross border payment perspective, you know, we get a, lo- a lot of people in the US who do need to send money outside. But I think Darren, the 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 bigger potential here for this is actually uh, the commercial, the B2B side. Uh, you know, you've had companies like J.P. Morgan Chase develop, you know, the the, the 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 J.P.M. coin or whatever they they call that. You know, uh, it, I think the opportunity is really more at the B2B side because of a lot of the international money flows and, and the. But I think there's going to be this sort of competition. Uh, among large corporations, a lot, some of the, the large global banks, you know, and it's really just a few mega banks with maybe a few super large regionals here who have enough international business to kind of deal with. But I think for the most part, you know, this is—it's not going to be a, uh, the crypto isn't going to have a huge impact from a payments perspective uh, at the retail level uh, as much as it will kind of the. Um, the B two B level and mostly international. Now, having said that, there are some super large corporations here that I think can can have an impact on it. Number one, Walmart. If you look at the, you know, just the the, the nature of the the tentacles that they have in so many different businesses and suppliers that they touch, you know, having a crypto based platform to do payments within their network. Uh, could be absolutely huge, uh, kind of impact. So, uh, you know, I think this, I think the focus is going to not be very sexy, uh, not going to be very retail and consumer oriented, but very much behind the scenes. And going back to our earlier, you know, discussion, very infrastructure related.
0: I just pick up on the first point you made, Ron, that the consumer doesn't really care. Um, I completely agree with that. Um, there's there's a couple of businesses, uh, fintechs over in this part of the world, who um, are, are building MTOs, money transfer operators, um, to do exactly that. So from South Africa to Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe to Uganda, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, I've had quite detailed conversations. How are you doing this? And they're using this coin. And I said, yeah, but what, what does your customer think? I mean, are, are they not worried that there's going to be Volatility, you know, if I, you know, there's a a a gap in between, you know, when I send and when it's received, and the price fluctuates. He said they don't even know that we use crypto rails. They don't need to know because there is no risk. We're using stable coin, um, and you know, if there is a a slight, you know, murmur in the market, it's going to be so minimal that you know we would take that risk on. Um, And it's just seamless. It's seamless to the consumer. All they know. It's cheaper and it's faster and it's secure. And my money goes from my phone to my friend's phone or my family's phone in Zimbabwe within, you know, 30 seconds or whatever it may be. Um, so I think, you know, uh, I'm not saying we, we, we're we blinding the consumer and doing, you know, concealing things. But I'm sure you ask an average consumer on the street, you know, if you go to Walmart and you buy a bag of chips, um, do you know how that money goes from your card, you know, to the bank and to Walmart? No, They're not going to have a clue, right? Because um, it's a very complex way of, you know, if you mapped it all out and, you know, this scheme involved and, you know, and the money flowing here and what have you, messages backwards and forwards, it's not as simple as I tap it and it physically comes out of my card. So, you know, using alternative methods of moving money around makes complete sense. Um, Ron, th- 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 there's another question I want to ask, and this is a debate... I've been having with a colleague, um, actually with a couple of colleagues recently. And I think I know what you're gonna say, but I'm asking nonetheless. Um, I think there's a strong argument to say that there is no longer disruption in financial services from FinTechs. And that disruption has already happened. And what we're seeing now is an evolution rather than a disruption. Would you agree? Or would you disagree?
1: Um, love to love to get your view. So, it all to agree or disagree with that, Darren, all comes down to how you and or I and anybody else defines disruption. Yep. and I have been arguing for a long time that what you just said is absolutely correct. But then I get the pushback that, well, no, no, Ron, I'm not saying displacement. I'm saying disrupting. And disruption, meaning the changing of the way things get done. Ah, now that's different. And I do think the way things get done in the industry are different and, and to a large extent, uh, absolutely accelerated and maybe initiated by a lot of new players, i.e. fintechs. But I have historically always thought of disruption as you know structural change. And I don't think we've really seen structural change in the banking industry here. I can't speak for 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 y- your markets, uh, yeah. but I don't think we've really seen fundamental structural changes. And to a large extent, there. And that's not that's, that's not that does not mean that fintechs have failed. Number one, if you're if you're created a fintech with the idea of creating structural change. I would argue you were pretty stupid um, because what you really should have been doing was creating a FinTech to create a sustainable business or as an investment, maybe you don't want, you don't even care it's sustainable. You wanted to create some technology, sell it off to somebody and make oodles of money. Totally respect that, totally respect that. But if your idea was to create structural change because you started a FinTech, you were dumb because that the chances of that ever happening were, were slim to none. Because the way Mm -hmm. to create structural change is to actually start at the regulatory level and change regulations. Uh, As we speak, Darren, and I'm not sure when everybody else is going to see this, Uh, I have yet to publish this. But man, in the back of my head, one of my next blog posts is going to be titled The Biggest Threat to the Banking Industry. And I mean the U.S. banking industry. The biggest threat to the U.S. banking industry is the U.S. government. And what they are doing from a regulatory perspective is fundamentally trying to kill community banks. And that's going to open the door for a lot of folks. But I think a lot of fintechs are going to look at this and go, man, you just cre- You just squashed my capability to grow by, in effect, nationalizing and uh, you know, making the, the whole banking industry a government function. This is the direction we're going here in the U.S. Uh, You know, not a lot of people will say that it is not politically feasible for a lot of community bank uh, CEOs to say that publicly. Jamie Dimon's never going to say that publicly. But basically what the U.S. government really wants right now is to have 10 really, really huge banks that they can just control and get rid of the other 3,500 banks and credit unions that we've got in the industry. So. I don't know, I'm going a little bit off topic here, um, but he, so let me come back to your question. Yes, I agree with you. Okay. Because, uh,
0: again, I've, I've had this conversation with different people in in the subsects of fintech. So we look at people in, in the BNPL world, buy now, pay later, and they're saying we've disrupted, you know, retailing and we've disrupted credit. And they're going, well, if you scratch beneath the surface, you haven't really. Yes, it's a different way of a consumer purchasing a product or a product but it's not really disruptive um on the flip side you have a conversation with someone in, in the payment sector and they say oh well you know you can now pay using your watch and soon you're going to be able to pay using you know uh, biometrics okay well that's really changed my life um you know I don't carry a wallet anymore so I may have disrupted some of the leather industry you know but um uh, other other than that I don't feel that's a massive amount of
1: disruption um no there uh, anytime anybody asks you that just just hit them with okay how much vol- payment volume has visa mastercard and american express seen a decline of there's no disruption in payment until visa and mastercard are fundamentally under the threat of going out of you know until they get kodak you know what i mean that's, yeah, yeah. that's when right. I'll believe there's disruption, but, you know, seeing the volumes that they're getting, I'm not buying. We have to stop confusing payment method with payment disruption. Yes, pay by watch, pay by fingerprints, all of that kind of stuff is, are great technology developments, but they haven't truly really disrupted the structure of the industry. Um, they've disrupted, if you want to use that term, that's fine methods and behaviours, but it is not a, uh, a structural disruption by any stretch of the imagination. No, it certainly isn't. Well, look, uh, it's
0: been really interesting, Ron. I think, uh, you know, t- taking some uh, insights from other parts of the world um, and sort of thinking about, well, how, how, how do they relate to what's happening here on the continent? And, you know, uh, again, for everyone listening, I'm not suggesting Africa's a country. OK, I've been here long enough. 54 countries, I know, we're all very different. Uh, South Africa's got very different dynamics to Nigeria and to Ghana and to the rest of of, of the continent. But um, if we do look at other continents to see what they're doing in terms, and certainly we look at Latin America as well, um, and what's happening again, similar-ish time of demographics and and challenges with financial inclusion and what have you. So, um, Ron, thank you. Um, I I know you've got some publications uh, sort of out and some coming up. Where, Where is the best Place for people to read more about what you produce some of the research reports um you mentioned linkedin is is, is that the best channel do you have a uh,
1: something that people can subscribe to uh, so I don't, well i guess love to have anybody connect uh on linkedin love absolutely love connecting with folks there i i uh published almost three or four times a week, something on LinkedIn, and I try not to make it like, it's not personal, you know, this is content-y kind of stuff. Um, And I'm publishing on the Forbes blog, that people can subscribe to, the the FinTech Snark Tank. They're not really subscribing to the blog, they're subscribing to me, so they'll get notifications. And uh, you can actually kind of, you get five free articles on Forbes a month. So if you're gonna do that, people use, use them on my articles, and then you can get them all for free. Uh, but LinkedIn's the best place. And I'll link off to a lot of the reports that we get commissioned to write, uh, live on the Cornerstone Advisors site, and they're, they're all free as well. So you can see the, the more formal reports. But uh, on a day-to-day basis, LinkedIn is really the best place um, you know, where I'm having conversations with folks and getting ideas out there on a more or less daily basis. So Ron Shevlin on on LinkedIn, uh, best place to, to do that. And You'll see the links to the reports, like what's going on in in banking. Great,
0: Rod. Uh, we're going to put all the links because um, we'll get them from you anyway. We're going to put them in the description on the podcast. So uh, if you're watching on YouTube, they're below. If you're listening on Spotify or uh, Amazon or uh, I don't know Apple, um, they're in the description. So just open your app and uh you'll see the links there um ron a, a big thank you i appreciate you. you're a very very busy man um it's early in the morning for you as well it's kind of afternoon for me but um uh, a big thank you to to you um from from our team here and uh and from our sponsors we are sponsored this podcast by lexus nexus risk solution so a big thank you to them they keep the lights on and uh ron i wish you a, a very nice day and uh let's see what 2024 holds for the world of uh financial services that
1: has a bit of technology. Darren, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, and and I'm uh, wishing you had told me Alexis Nexus was the sponsor. It would have been good. I'm just glad I didn't say anything negative about them on the, uh, throughout the discussion. I'm usually getting in trouble because I'm usually you know knocking somebody. But uh, good to know I uh, I didn't insult anybody too much on this, no, this And I must
0: say, we've we got a great editor. So if you did, it wouldn't matter anyway.
1: <laughs> good. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> well, I really I'll appreciate you reaching well. out.
0: My pleasure. Take care.
1: bye then.